Welcome to a Words, Beats, and Life podcast. This episode features the Alternative Winter Break series. What's going on, family? It's yours truly, Mazi Mutafa, Executive Director of Words, Beats, and Life, here for the final episode of the inaugural Alternative Winter Break Media Arts Edition. We've had some phenomenal speakers up to this point, and you know what they always say, save the best for last. I'm here tonight with a good friend of mine. It's funny, we were talking about how it is that we met, and I feel like it's been almost, almost two decades. It's got to be at least 15 years. Uh, Let me go ahead and bring this to the stage. What's going on, Yasmeen? How are you? What up, Mozzie? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Thank you for having me. No doubt. It's funny, we were talking about how it is that we we first met each other, and the answer was another good sister, who I actually got a chance to interview back um, probably like two or three months ago, our good friend, our good friend Layla. Um, a Man. photographer extraordinaire. She's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well... It takes one to know one. Um, and, and so part of the way that Layla introduced us was uh, in circulating the call for submissions for the journal. And you applied and submitted an article that we loved um, that was featured in the Blueprint for a Movement issue um, way, way back in the day. I feel like that's volume three, like issue one. That, that was the issue that actually led us to create the teaching. And then mysteriously, a few years later, right, maybe like a year later, then we, we met in person in the Bay. Um, when we brought the mm-hmm. teaching up there. Was that our first time meeting? I feel like the answer to that question is, I probably came out there to prospect first before we actually did the event. But okay. I know that I know that I traveled out to, to California to meet you. Um, Cause I don't feel like, I don't feel like you came to the first teaching. Did, I don't feel like it, but maybe you did. Cause, cause one of the things I love the most about Yasmina, she was definitely the kind of person to jump on a flight to get to a gathering. Um, and so this idea of being around people, being in community has always been um, central, at least to my relationship with you. This idea that you want to be able to bring people together, to be empowered, to be um, to create spaces of collaboration. Um, and so I wonder, you know, I've, I've, as I said, this is the last in this series. Um, I've asked everyone the first the same first question, which is how much of your own family history, do you know, like how many generations back does your knowledge of your own family go? So I would say on my mom's side, probably three generations back. On my dad's side, wow, maybe two. And I'm I'm really hyping that up right now to get to know my dad's side. Um, we recently lost a cousin of mine. And unfortunately we were brought together by his funeral. But in that gathering, I learned so much about the Bobo family. And I learned that like they're all gifted speakers. Most of them are like preachers and and head some kind of ministry, but they're all musically inclined and they all can speak well and write well. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's where I get it from. Um, But on my mom's side, um, I've learned that they're mainly teachers, both her father's family and her mother's family were from like the Southwest and the Midwest. And they were all teachers. Like we're talking about dozens of kids and like they all went into education and made a career out of that. So I know the teaching gene is in my bloodline. And then on my dad's side, the speaking and the music, even though I don't consider myself musically inclined, I love music and I want to talk about it all the time. And I'm quite obsessed with it. So I understand now why I've become so passionate about these things. Well, I'm, this is a this is a wonderful beginning to the story. I wonder, did you, do you know the story of how your parents actually met? Yeah, they were high school sweethearts. Um, they They shared a passion for music. So they would often see each other at local concerts or school dances and they'd be rocking out to the same Motown. So I think they have the common ground of music, but they met and fell in love in high school and um, have been pretty much inseparable ever since. That's a beautiful story. 
Um, yeah. So I wonder, uh, this it's 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 important that you're able to make the connection to the things that your family has done, to the things that you do. I wonder, do you remember the, the first time you did something creative? Like what's your earliest memory of doing anything creative? And by creative, I don't just mean like drawing, you know, the same thing that everyone draws. Anything that you think of as creative that it required your imagination. What's your earliest recollection of doing something creative? Um, I'd say in, in elementary school, I remember making daisy chains to like put on my head as like flower crowns and like style myself with like daisy chains. I don't know if this is something that all little girls do, but that's one, that was one of my creative outlets literally was like making daisy chains. But in, in middle school, I had been so introverted in elementary school that once I got to middle school, I wanted to embrace my self-expression and kind of come out of my shell. And I was also coming into my identity as like this mixed race girl in this mostly white school. And so I started to express myself with fashion and experiment with fashion. And I brought, you know, the trends to the school, but also like kind of came up with my own spin to dressing and using fashion as as my way to express my unique identity. And I mean, it wasn't for everybody, but I certainly found like a personal freedom in it. So I think fashion has always been one of my creative things. <laughs> and we see that's still true today. That, that jacket is super fly. And, you know, Can and it was on clean, so. <laughs> Can we back up? So, so you described yourself in elementary school as being introverted. Like, do you know where that came from, or even memories of of being able to self-identify as, as as introverted? Do you remember? I think it was just I went to an all-white school. Um, I'm mixed race. I feel like I didn't fit in, but I was also kind of like isolated, like kind of pushed out and not welcomed into the social circles at the school. And so that just taught me how to rely on myself, think for myself, be by myself, be okay with solitude. So it wasn't a bad thing. I think I flipped it into something positive um, and learned to, you know, sit and and be in my own world and, and read lots of books and um, yeah. You know, I didn't ask, so are you an only child, Yasmin? I am not. I have two older sisters and one younger brother, which is an interesting dynamic. <laughs> tell, tell me more. P.S. Uh, Michael Hill just asked, This is he said, this is a great interview. Are there ways for me to see previous? The answer is yes. They're all on our YouTube channel and on the Words, Beats, and Life Facebook page archived. Yeah. Um, having Being the youngest of two older sisters was... It was interesting. There was never a dull moment. Um, I do have quite a bit of an age gap between the oldest sister and myself, and that's nine years. So most of my childhood, she was kind of an adolescent doing her own thing. And then I have a sister that's two years older than me. But I can say with sisters, there's, there can be tension, there can be competition. And I wasn't the one who wanted to engage in that. So I feel like sometimes that caused a little strain but in young adulthood and now further into adulthood, like we're doing much better with it and we communicate better and the competition has dissolved as we got older and kind of came into our own sense of womanhood. But having a younger brother was dope for me. Like I had the best relationship with him. I was a bit of a tomboy. So like climbing trees with him and like collecting G.I. Joes and watching certain cartoons. That's something I could always do with my little brother. And to this day, like we're hella tight. That's what's up. There's nothing like uh, like growing up in a family and staying connected. So many people have traumatic childhoods that they gotta, they gotta spend their adulthood recovering from. Um, we do. And, and there's still work to be done in those dynamics, like constant work, especially with my sisters. There's we're constantly revisiting things and, and trying to heal and move on from them. So, but I'm just thankful that we're on board for that. So in middle school, you begin to discover your own. So you start, actually, you start in elementary school with, with kind of jewelry making, um, decorative jewelry that then 
continues to evolve into into middle school with fashion. Um, and the interesting thing about fashion, especially if you're an introvert, the idea that people would walk up to you and be like, ooh, that's a flash. Like you would start to get attention that maybe your introverted self might not have wanted, but, but, but growing into your own creativity, suddenly you want to be in the spotlight. You want people to recognize your creativity, your brilliance. Um, do, do you think that there's, did, did something happen between elementary school and middle school that triggered that, that you can, that you can think of? Well, my interaction with hip hop happened. I mean, like we, you know, polka dots were in and like the hammer pants were in and like patent leather shoes. I don't know about the East Coast, Mozzie, but West Coast, that's that's what we were. We were taking cues from hip hop culture and I felt empowered by that. I felt inspired by that. And it was exciting. It was fresh and it was a break from the norm. And it was a break from white suburbia because I was bored as fuck out there. Sorry, excuse my language. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody curses and then excuses themselves. Like if 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 they if they know what it means, they've probably heard it before. Um, so, hip hop cues. You talked about the love of music. I'm curious. Do you remember who introduced you to hip hop? Was it the radio, or did or was one of your your older siblings? Do you remember when, how you got introduced to hip hop? Yeah, definitely. My my eldest sister Nicole. Um, and her friends from the neighborhood. At that time, we were living in Antioch, California. Very small town, very blue collar town, not much to do. Um, so we would put on the radio and they would dance and they would try their best to emulate um, the break in styles from the East Coast at the time. Um, and I just remember being so hyped about it, but still being relatively young and shy. So I wasn't ready to dance, but I definitely loved the music and loved the rhythm and embraced all of it. And I'm, I'm curious um, how it is that your, your, your siblings exposing you to it, um, how that impacted what you had access to. You know, like I remember when I was a kid, my older cousin Dana, he, he lived in Ohio and he, he moved in with us in, in, in Maryland and he brought, he introduced me to NWA. Um, like I hadn't heard it or had access to it. H how do you think that the particular, the, the kinds of music that your siblings and their friends were listening to, like, was that, was it a broad range of music? Was it narrow? Like thinking back. It was pretty broad because we were, you know, we were importing the East coast lyricism and we were listening to artists from, from New York mainly. But then we also, I had an awareness and with like local artists like Too Short. I mean, not as a young, young child, but I remember like maybe like fifth grade and up. Too Short, later on E-40 and The Click. I loved The Click. Um, so I did, I was very well aware of the local artists that we had, that that, that was our flex during the time. Um, so yeah, and then just the radio, like I remember getting my first little radio and like recording the you know you could put a tape in and like record the hip-hop hour from a local radio station and i remember doing that after my oldest sister taught me how to <laughs> make my own tapes essentially she would make me some mixtapes as well and i would just consume all of it all the time I love it. I was, I was on Facebook earlier today and a friend of mine posted, had this post that said that we're part of Generation X and we were the first generation to record music off the radio onto tapes. This idea yeah. that like mixtapes have played an integral role in, in our, in our participation in the culture. So we're, we weren't just witnesses. We were appreciators of the curators and curators ourselves. Um, yeah. Can you so even though I interviewed Davy D and Jeff Chang earlier in this series, they didn't talk very much about specific musicians. I'm curious, um, especially because your introduction was East Coast, but but then you you got introduced to the folks um, on the West Coast and the work that they were doing. Who were some of those? You mentioned E40 and the Click. I didn't even know there was a Click. Thank you so much. Um, you mentioned. Um, you mentioned a couple of folks. Can you talk about maybe even beyond music? I'm because you talked about witnessing dancing. Were there dancers from the West Coast who who you who you witnessed or who influenced the way you thought about hip hop? The same thing for music. Um, 
paint a bigger picture, paint a bigger, a bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. I think there were there were dance styles from that were originated on the West Coast that I admired and loved. I'm not the best dancer. I'm just not in touch with my body like that. But there were styles that I liked. In terms of specific dancers, unfortunately, no, because they really didn't have the media hype that like dancers had from New York. Um, I don't know that crews even had names out here, but so yeah, definitely dance styles. And then in terms of like local lyricists, I mean, there's two short, I mean, I was a fan of Hammer too. I loved Hammer. <laughs> I kind of outgrew it. It was a little too, um, pop culture like for me as I got older because I I really found myself lost in the songwriting from certain artists like and that's what inspired me to develop my love of writing was just the lyricism from my generation like Rakim and even like Souls of Mischief a little later on when I was a little older their writing style loved it it's very inspirational and Huh. What, what what kind of inspirations did you draw from them? Was it around particular uses of metaphor or alliteration? How did, how did the music influence your writing? Absolutely. And then also current events, like however they infuse what was going on in the world at the time or in the communities that we lived in at the time and how they reflected on that and how they criticized that and how the things that they wanted to do to change those conditions. Um, I think that lyricists were my first love and my first move toward writing and becoming a literary um, icon myself. I mean, I'm still getting there, but still when I need to hype myself up and inspire myself to get into a writing mood, I have a certain playlist with certain artists that I want to listen to and, and that's how I get my own creative juices going. That's what's up. I'm curious. Uh, so, so last time we talked, we checked in at school. We're in middle school, um, and it, you're talking mostly about fashion. Are there any opportunities where you where you begin to to write during this phase, or does that happen in high school? I was definitely writing, but I wasn't sharing, and I wasn't thinking of myself as a writer. It wasn't until later, when teachers were like, "Yo, you have to do something with this. Like, you're gifted." And I was so surprised because my own family hadn't really picked up on that. Um, and so I would say teachers were my first supporters, some of my friends definitely. And then, um, I mean, once we had internet access, like that's that helped me, it helped like wildfire. Like it really, it really inspired me. So I, I I'm curious because you, you talked about teachers. Are there are there names of people that you still remember? I, I, I'm do, just so you know, I'm I'm trying to unearth memories because one of the things that this is is like a trip down memory lane, remembering Mister Such and Such or Doctor Such and Such or Mrs. Such and Such um, to lift up their names and and to acknowledge their influence on your life. So are there teachers during this phase who are who are seeing some of your writing for class or even some of your creative writing that might be or or journalistic writing that's outside of class? Yes. Um, Mrs. Cookston was my freshman English teacher in high school. And she, so we had, to, we read the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I think some of my reflections on that work, she was just blown away by. So Mrs. Cookston, once, once she read my personal writing, she, she definitely urged me to, to stay with it and to keep up with it. And then later on, my sophomore and junior year, I had a teacher named Mrs. Laird. Her name was Jean Laird. She let me call her Jean. <laughs> and she would just, wow. She was specifically impressed with like essays that I would write. And also the sub, she gave me the freedom to choose um, the subject matter and the content and then would coach me if needed, but I remember long talks with, with Jean about continuing with writing and, and not possibly being a major in college and never letting go. She never wanted me to let that go. So those two teachers, I would say, stood out the most. 
And what kind of opportunities were there for you to write as a high school student? Sorry, what, what, what high school did you go to? I went to Northgate High and sometimes I would find like writing contests um, in local newspapers and I would apply or I would see a tiny ad in the back of a magazine and I might submit some work. Um, I remember once I won um, an award for a Martin Luther King Jr. essay contest and I still have it. It was, I, I believe it was handwritten. And I was so thrown off because after winning, I didn't know I was winning the award, but I went to the award ceremony just to show up and show love for whoever won. And then Jean was there and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then my family shows up and I'm like, wow. And then they tell me I need to read in front of like 300 people. And I'm like, yo, I was so nervous. I, I was like almost physically ill, but I did it. I got through it and it was like a standing ovation. And that's that moment when I knew like, okay, this is something I could do with my life. And it comes so natural. I love doing it. I'm always thinking about it. Why not run with it? And what grade was that? That was 11th grade in high school. And I think we were, we were talking earlier about something you did your senior year in high school connected to the Panthers. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I coincidentally, in one of the same periodicals, I found an ad in the back and it read uh, a need for volunteers to work with former Black Panthers in Berkeley. And they had, they worked out of like a printing press office. They had a publication called The Commemoration, The Commemorator. And wow, it was, it's almost hard to describe what an honor it was to work with former Panthers. That's like a Bay Area legacy, but then also like it has national magnitude as an organization. So I met some of the elders. I saw how a printing press works, which was a wonder for me at the time. And I got to meet, you know, different editors and different writers, but I wasn't writing for that paper. I was really trying to like help them hype the paper among youth on high school campuses, on local community college campuses. I would even show up to parties and try to get like signatures to sign up for the paper so they could get a subscription. Whatever whatever they needed me to do, I was all about it. I wasn't gonna say no to former Black Panthers, never. <laughs> Love it. You know, part of my conversation with uh, Bakari Katwana as a part of this series was learning about all the work he did as an editor for Third World Press and, and how reading other people's work and working with other writers help to influence his writing. I'm, I'm curious um, how access to a particular paper in this, this year, Elders, how do you feel like that impacted your writing or your even your approach to the power of writing? Well, it gave me um, hope that you could do it on your own. You didn't need a publishing house to endorse you or validate you. Um, as a publication, but also just the idea of being an independent writer started to blossom in my mind. And then again, this was like in the earliest days of like internet access. So I was like, wow, this could actually happen. You don't need to be, you don't need a contract with a publishing house to, to put yourself on, you, you put yourself on. Um, so yeah, I would say that was, that was a big nod for my own my own aspirations. That's what's up. Um, and so, did you go straight to college from high school, or did you take some time off? No, I, I actually graduated from high school a year early. I was over the whole high school scene. <laughs> I was in a hurry to get to... Uh, to that academic level. And um, I went to a community college first. And there I, I kind of dabbled in a few different departments um, in academic discourse, but I kept on working on writing and I kept volunteering with the commemorator. And so, so what did that, what, where did you volunteer while you were in in college? 
that allowed you to continue to develop your writing or where were you or where were you publishing or being or trying to be published well really at that point i was just writing 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 and sharing it with certain professors and i i didn't even want to write for like the school newspaper at the time but i did share my work with other peers and and many department heads just for that validation just to know that i'm doing the right thing and that i'm improving in my craft and i got a lot of coaching and support from them it almost feels like this is a like a reemergence of the introvertedness that the writing allows <laughs> to get it out but it's not it's not for everybody um when do you feel like you make that jump because i know that uh you've been published on blogs you published your own blog uh you've been published in in multiple publications so wh when did that jump go from I'm, i want to i'm i'm kind of holding this creativity close to i want to share it with whoever is interested in seeing when did, when did that happen i had one of my best friends her husband read something i wrote and he was like he invited me over for coffee with her and he sat me down and was like you have to do this like i want to know what your plan is like what your next steps are and i it came that kind of support came from the least expected place he and i didn't even interact very much but after reading my work he basically became my cheerleader <laughs> and i knew at that point okay i've heard this from so many people that it it's something i need to take more seriously but bear in mind at that point i was juggling being a very young mother as well so i had to time my writing and my discipline with writing alongside the responsibilities of having three young children at home so um i couldn't go full throttle like some other young writers could i had to to find that that balance with home life as well but yeah after that talk and that man coaching session <laughs> i just it was no it was no longer deniable well i'm curious how i know that you said that it was one of your best friends um husband but how did he get access to she shared with him or did you or, she or, did and she didn't even tell me she was going to do that um yeah she didn't even tell me so i was taken totally by surprise and it was humbling too you know it, it was humbling and did did she say why she decided or really why why did his opinion about it why was it so impactful like who was he to you was he or was it what he said but why was his opinion kind of this catapulting force to make you move forward well he was a reader like me he's a bookworm like me so when you know someone loves books of any genre and then steps to you like why aren't you an author why aren't you writing when are you going to be writing your story or at least telling the story of someone else like when is this going to happen i took that serious cuz he's a bookworm um to me that's important that's those are some of the greatest judges or people who consume large amounts of literature so um so you get this kind of catapulting force from a, a source whose opinion matters to you. Um how old are you at that time? Do you remember? Probably mid 20s. So you're mid 20s, so this is still like a a kind of figuring out the direction even though writing has never left you, it's been with you this whole time. Um mm -hmm. What are the things that you decide to start writing about? Particularly that you publish for other people. And and then maybe what's the difference between that work and the work you were writing for yourself? I started reviewing local um so one of my first published pieces was a friend of mine was a playwright and I went to her play and the play the whole cast were just students from her school. And so I wrote a review for that play um even though it's kind of hard to be objective when it's your your friend <laughs> um and that piece was called just another night in baghdad and the play was also a fundraiser for children who had been um afflicted by the conflict in 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 iraq and then from there i started to gain interest in because i love hip hop so much and i love 
rap music so much, I was like, man, it would be dope to just start interviewing rappers that I have access to and talking to them about their process, about where they want to take their music, about how they're um, distributing their music on their own. So most of these artists were like unsigned and just independent. And um, so I started making like short lists of people that I wanted to work with and reaching out, kind of like cold calling in a way. And and it was a shot in the dark, but nine times out of 10, I got a response and, and I ran with it. How did you have access? You said through MCs you had access to, was that direct access or friend of a friend? Like, is it just kind of a, a Bay Area thing? How, how did you get that initial access? Because I know lots of young people and even, you know, young adults who want to move into a space um, are like, well, I don't know anybody. How do I build those relationships? I love the fact that you talked about cold calling, but were there also people that were part of your, kind of part of your immediate community? Yeah. Some of them were, were um, artist circles that I ran in but also i used like myspace <laughs> a lot um people i followed on myspace and i would you know reach out to artists just go into the dm and ask pitch myself you know as an independent journalist and then um we had something back then called listservs basically mass mailing lists um through email and if there was an artist on the listserv and I knew they were a recording artist or a performing artist, I would like hit them up personally and just be like, well, what do you think about, you know, interviewing with me, interviewing with me or speaking with me about your work and very approachable people. So I used social media and, and email to, to hit people up. And sometimes I would go to a show cause I, I attend a lot of live music events. It's one thing I forgot to mention earlier. My dad is a, a Latin percussionist. So he plays the conga and the bongo, and I grew up going to concerts. Like we were always at some kind of live music event. I don't remember very many weekends or summers without without live music. And so um, as an adult, I found myself attending a lot of concerts and shows, and I would be bold enough to approach <laughs> an artist or try to get to the manager and, and um, ask for an interview or, you know, offer to like review a new project that they were working on. Yeah, one of my favorite stories is um, how Adisa Benjoko got into journalism, that he, he uh, did a press, he, he reached out to NWA to do like do one of their very first interviews in his school paper. So this idea of like just having the heart to reach out to people um, and hope that they'll reach back, it's amazing. People back who, who you, you know wouldn't um you know it's funny you just jumped back in time for a second to 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 growing up with music and you totally missed that in the whole rest of the story i'm curious where, where where are your siblings during this like high school to college to now being a young 20 something are they are they a part of your life at all in terms of your access to culture are they some of the people that maybe are reading some of your work giving you feedback picking you up well, my eldest sister, Nicole, she definitely, she was one of the people who would take me to shows um, and concerts. Um, I, she wasn't there when I would like approach and ask, but um, she definitely kept me immersed in the culture of, of live music. Um, and then my younger brother, he has always been a, just a supporter of my writing. And he was one of the, he, he was one of the first engineers I worked with, audio engineers, to produce um, a podcast a few years back on SoundCloud. Um, and so he's he's been, he's shown me a lot of love and support for my writing over the years and still does, still hypes me up, definitely. I'm, I'm curious. Um... So we've talked, almost all this has been about from, from jewelry making, to fashion, to beginning to write, to working in independent publishing, to now um, being willing to produce work that you, you feel comfortable sharing with others. Um, did you stick with, with writing or did you move into other, other mediums to be able to, to tell stories? You just talked about a podcast. 
as an example? Yeah, I dabbled in podcasts um, and I would I would mainly push the material on SoundCloud. It was kind of an experiment. Um, the first few episodes were um, interviews with some of the artists that I wanted to work with, like in print journalism, but decided let's do this, let's do this over audio. And then I would also play their music. And these were independent artists, so they were happy to engage with an audience and just happy for the, the promo. And then a few other of my podcast episodes were my own literary work, so like personal narratives. And it was my brother's idea. My brother's name is Raj, by the way. It was his idea. He was like, let me get you in my studio and like you just record some of your personal writing and like, you know, I'll hook it up, I'll edit it and put it together for you. And he did an excellent job. I'm still eager to work with him and relaunch the podcast again one of these days. I actually have a vocal booth in, in my house and most of what I need to, to make that happen. Well, so what about it made it experimental? You said that that was an experiment, trying something new. Well, it wasn't the conventional podcast or broadcast format of like, you know, news or sound bites or, you know, it was, it was my work, it was my writing, and it was very new for me to be that vulnerable, to start telling some of my own truths. I was used to telling the stories of others. So when it came time to start telling my own, you know, I was reluctant and I needed the love and support from family to be like, nah, you could do this, you got this. Like if you've been, if you've been storytelling for others all these years, like it's your turn now to tell your own. And, uh, but there was, you know, there was some vulnerability and, and that's not always easy for a writer to put yourself out there like that. I'm curious. So the, this idea of um, your writing being about other people and wanting to, and something you talked about reviewing the play, but also reviewing music. What was, was, was that about trying to lift up or was that also about being critical of things that you didn't necessarily like? So like what, what motivated you to want to, to do that kind of writing, to do these kind of editorial or reviews of music or, or events? Definitely to lift up. And some most of these artists were people that were, you know, weren't being highlighted or didn't have the headlines. So I wanted to help them bring awareness and hype to their work. But also I'm so fascinated with the creative process of recording artists. And, and performing artists. So I really wanted to get into their head. Like I'm curious about what makes a human being brave enough to speak that truth and share their music and do it on stage and, and take risks and face criticism. So I wasn't necessarily critical. For the most part, I wasn't, it wasn't criticism. It was, it was hype. It was love, I was showing love. I mean, you talked about the the influence of of rap music in particular on your writing process. What what are the what are major takeaways from having interviewed these artists about their process that maybe you apply to yourself or maybe are just useful for people in general? Things that you feel like you learn from interviewing musicians about their process. Um, one of the things that I've learned is that. um traveling informs their work so traveling informed my work too <laughs> um also getting the right team around you um to make sure that you're sustainable as an artist right that you have the help that you need and the people you can trust um surrounding you so that you keep the momentum and you you keep you keep giving beauty to the world. That's dope. I'm curious. So what, and what have you learned about, what have you learned about, learned about building the, the career of a writer? I know that the writing isn't all you do, um, but it's, but it's where your, your work love is. Cause I was gonna say it's where your love is, but I know your, your love is invested in, in your boys, but what, what is it you've learned about yourself through this process of, telling other people's stories, telling your stories now, 
um, that you feel like other writers, especially younger writers who might still be in that stage where they, they're not ready to share their work? What do you feel like you've learned about yourself through your own journey as a writer? I've learned a lot about just the emotional labor that it takes, you know, to write. I've learned a lot about the what, discipline what, that it what takes. Does that mean? What does that mean, the emotional labor? What, what does that mean? You got to face your demons. You got to face whatever you've been through and, and be ready to reckon with it. Not just write about it, but really take yourself through it. And, and you heal at the same time, but you also uncover wounds at the same time. One of my favorite writers and thinkers who's taught me a lot is Bell Hooks. She has a book called Wounds of Passion, and it's basically her memoir when she was writing one of her first books. And it took her over 10 years. For me, reading that, that it took that long to write a book um, was inspiring. It was real. You know what I mean? Because nowadays people are pushing out content pretty fast, but every writer needs to understand they have their own timeline uh, and their own way of doing things, their own method of doing things, and that's going to look different and feel different for everyone. Hmm. That, that's interesting because... I know, I know how often, uh, depending on the publication you're engaging, you have to write on a deadline. And this idea of being able to take the time to write, to write the best version of what it is that you're trying to to explore or express. How do how do how do you feel like as a younger writer? you manage those two things like the commerce of writing the need to get things out on deadline this idea of volume you just discussed and then as a creator your own love of writing and your love of language and the time that you want to take to tell the stories in ways that you know will resonate with your reader how, how did how did or do you um manage those two kind of warring priorities yeah I did much a much better job when I was writing for an editor and had a deadline and worked under a deadline. So when I was actually working for or with someone else, I was much better at it. Writing for myself now and trying to finish like an anthology, that's where I'm honestly not so great. And I'm still, you know, I'm trying to get better. And there are ways that I, ha I have to approach it differently um, than I did when I was answering to an editor. <laughs> um, so that part, personal writing, aside from the emotional labor, is much more challenging than writing for a publication. Much more. It's funny, I feel like, I feel like on some levels I should change the name on my video to game because on all of his rap albums he always stays dropping names i was gonna be like so i saw jason reynolds talk about his own process for writing where he assigns himself 10 pages a day every day he must write 10 pages this idea of um imposing discipline on yourself yeah i feel like it could probably also be a theme from like the autobiography of malcolm x this idea that um it's it is easier to work for someone else in the sense that they have expectations that you have to live up to, but when you're when you're laboring with love, um, I, so but yeah, so if Bell Hooks said it took her ten years to write that book, why do you feel like why do you feel like you're not on time with the with the labor that you're working on? Well, I don't feel like I'm not on time, but I look at other people and they're like, well, what are you doing? What are you working on? You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh God, I got to answer this. <laughs> it's like, it seems like it's taking me forever. Like they asked me this two years ago and I'm still on the same, I'm still on the same work. But honestly, that's the reality of it. I'm, I have to work on this at my own pace and I got to be okay with that. It takes a lot of self-talk you know what I mean? Like positive self-talk and like reframing what you hear, you know what I mean? Externally. And then, yeah, reframing that to, to fit your, to fit your own methodology. Now, I love that. I love that because the reality is that 
a lot of writing is solitary. A lot of writing is self-directed um, and is a challenge. It's funny, all of us write, but not all of us are writers. You know, like all of us have stories, but all of us are not great at telling stories. Um, yeah. And so the, the reality of the discipline, the effort, the time that it takes is real. I know as an example, uh, you talked about teaching being in your blood right now. Um, let's talk about projects you're working on right now, because we've got about 12 minutes left. Um, All right. I, know, I know you're 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 teaching um, or in a in a you're working with young people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I went from working in K through eight for most of my adult life um, as an interventionist. And then I went back to school to become, to specialize in, in what's called trauma-informed practitioners. So I essentially work with preschoolers, babies and toddlers who have suffered abuse or some kind of hardship that has affected them developmentally. And so it's a lot of small group work or even one-on-one -on -one work with the wee ones. And I love it. I love the transition from just being in a classroom with a bunch of kids to working with one or two or you know just one child and um nurturing and answering to their specific need and just knowing that i can be a part of their healing process or at least be um a loving presence in their life at, at the same time you're working on creatively <laughs> yeah, the, the, the other projects that we talked about. Um, oh, yes, yes. So I'm also, um, so I just got approached by a very prolific blues singer, songwriter, poet. She's the daughter of um, a phenomenal teacher here in the Bay Area. And she wants me to co-author a book with her. I would say the genre is self-help, but it's more like personal journey. So it'll be a fusion of her stories along with a step-by-step process that people need to take when they've gone through something similar, faced a similar hardship. And so she and I are committed to working each other, working with each other for the next year. Um, we're still, you know, going over the contracts for this collaboration, but I'm pretty sure it's good to go. And I look forward to working with her. Um, and then I've got my own anthology that I have been chipping away at. <laughs> and it's gonna be a small collection of counter narratives and musings and memoirs. And I hope to put that out in the next two years. And so that anthology is all your work or, or that's a collaborative? Yeah, that will be my work, solely my work. Um, do you have a name? Well, no, if it's not out yet, don't let's not say the name so someone <laughs> steal. Yeah, it's so good. I don't want anybody biting. Oh, something else, and I do for this for uh, younger kids, or at least you want to. Oh yeah, yes. So my work in the classroom and just working with small children. Um, one of my most beloved things to do is like to have you know a reading circle to read to small children. And I've always been fascinated with children's literature. Now I've thought to myself, like, I need to be the person who's writing some of these kids' books. So um, I'm looking to partner with an illustrator. And that's been another feat of mine uh, in finding someone to collaborate with because I'm not a visual artist in that way, <laughs> not even a graphic artist in that way. So even though I have the words to write children's books, I do not have the the artistic gift so i'm looking to partner with someone um and it'll be a few different themes and a few different series um one of which will be like blended families um, another will be families who have a child with special needs in them and then also like mixed race households and like biracial or multiracial children so those will be a few of the themes that's what's up. That sounds like perfectly time for America right now. Um, I hope so. <laughs> I didn't ask you this in, in advance, but are, are, can we still access your writing via via your blog? I don't have an active blog up now. 
So where, but, if I was looking for writing, where would I, where would I find it? Either places that it's been published in the past. Are you still like me, one of those people that has notes on Facebook of past writing? <laughs> I'd say a Google search is the best way. Um, if you follow uh, my Instagram, I do put up, I'm in the process of cleaning up my Instagram profile, but I do, um, I do post musings there and short work. I wouldn't call it poetry. Some people call it poetry, but it's more like musings. So I do share musings pretty often. What, what's it, do you, can you talk to me about like what, what it is that you're musing about? And, and P.S., why is it, is, is musing, a, a, I, I know what musing is, but is that a particular genre of writing like, like poetry? I would say it is now, yeah. I would say it's like the, the love child of poetry because <laughs> it's not necessarily following a format or you know a poetic structure um it's almost like an observation but a very lyrical one or a very poetic sounding one so so what are some of the things that you're you're musing about I, i'm not asking you to read go like find it and read it but i am asking like what are the things that you're that you're thinking about that are inspiring you to write right now I would say love and social change or social justice, um, sometimes nature, because I do have a wonderful relationship with nature and that's helped me in becoming the woman that I am. Having a connection to nature means a lot to me. Um, and just meditations on you know, struggles and conflicts in life and how to get through it if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And it, and it, it feels like what so many people, and to be honest, it feels like what so many people turn to social media for, which is kind of insights, whether those are memes or just kind of philosophical thoughts that people feel like sharing. I know I love finding a good meme to be able to share. Um, yeah. And a ratchet one too, but. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> I was going to say, is, are all of your musings, um, I don't want to say positive, but but like, um, are all of them uplifting? Are all of them about kind of like we talked about the reviews are not about being critical, um, but about kind of lifting up the things that you think need need light. So, what are the kinds no, of things you're writing about? Some of them are about pain or things that I've been through that weren't so comfortable, um, and ironically, those are the things that resonate with people the most. So if it was an if it was about, let's say, an abusive relationship, um, that's not a comfortable subject matter, right? right? But that is something that people can identify with. Um, and I'd love to have like a lesson attached to that, but I think people understand that we all have our lessons, you know. Um, I'm not sure if you saw, but Michael Hill posted a comment that said, very cool that Yasmin is working with children as a parent. She's the kind of person I'd like my daughter to be around. Um, so this idea that you're able to bring the fact that you're a mom into childcare um, mm -hmm. is, is amazing and a gift. I mean, children are my favorite human beings. I prefer the company of children or old people, honestly. I get the most from those two groups. People mm -hmm. around my age, yeah, y'all y'all are right. But like, <laughs> I really, I get the most from my relationships with children and, and my elders. I'm, I'm reminded of things, I'm inspired by things. It's just, it's, it's all beautiful and it's fun. Children just remind you to be fun. They take you back to that, to that um, element. And I prefer, I prefer to have fun right about now. You know what's interesting? You you mentioned this earlier, and we've only got a couple minutes left. But to talk a little bit more about you as a person, you talked about being a young mother, and now knowing that um, you've got grown-ups, you've got adult children who are living their best lives, finding their ways, contributing. I wonder how you feel like you know the time that you that you labored to raise them, to to help them become the men that they would grow to be. How you feel like now having this time as kind of like a second 
like a second or third phase in your life. Um, you know, post school, then parenting, now being the mother of adult children, how do you feel like, if at all, that might inform future writing? Yeah. I mean, empty nesting is lonely and different and can be a bit of a mind bender, but it's also an opportunity, you know? I can travel more now if I want to, even though we're in a pandemic, so that's not necessarily happening in, in this moment, but empty nesting is, is an opportunity. And I do have more freedoms now to read more without interruption, to write without interruption, to engage in self-care, which by the way, Mozzie, is something you have always asked me about as a friend. You have all, you begin most conversations off with, what are you doing to like take care of yourself, to love on yourself? And I don't know if you just asked me that because you knew I'm a mom and like moms don't usually do that. But um, yes, I have the freedom now to do more that I'm a mother of, of young men. Um, and then also like the dynamic has changed where my kids are taking care of me now and I got three boys. So they're like bodyguards, you know, <laughs> they really look out for me in ways that I'm just so grateful for. That's what's up. Uh, I ask you cause I, cause I care about you and I know how many people are pulling you in different directions. So I always just want to make sure that you're taking care of you too, cause you care for so many. Um, this is the last question. Um, it's if you were giving advice to, to a younger Yasmin, maybe somewhere between um, making jewelry and and reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, somewhere in that in that page, in that period of your life, what's the one bit of advice that you would give you? Um, not necessarily to go down a different road, but just to prepare yourself for a road that you're going to go down. What's the one bit of advice? Wow. <laughs> Probably to enjoy solitude, to not think that you're going to find yourself in a relationship with others, specifically young men. I was led to believe that, you know, everything happens once you're with someone or you get a boyfriend or you get married or whatever. So on the real, I think I would advise myself to be by myself for as long as I can. And that's how you become the woman you need to be for someone else if you choose to be with someone else. Yes, I I want to thank you so much for spending this hour with me. Um, You're welcome. I've said this in every interview. I feel like such a terrible friend. I learned so much about every single I literally never somebody to ask all these questions. Um, I think I broke up there. So I said, I feel like a, I feel like a terrible friend at the end of all these interviews because I learned so much um, about people I've known for, in some cases, two decades um, that I never thought to ask. Uh, so that that's the one thing that I'm, I'm so grateful that I asked you to be here and that you agreed and that you shared so much of your story um, that's inspirational to the people that are watching and the people that will watch. I know it's inspired me. Um, I, so. I, I look forward to reading the anthology and once and helping you find that illustrator so we can get that children's book. Um, yeah. Some babies. <laughs> in. That would be wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, everybody. So this was the end of the um, alternative winter break um, media arts edition. Uh, the plan is to still do a, an alternative spring break, which was the original inspiration for this, taking young people to cities up and down the East Coast to experience the creative economy. This media arts edition was just talking to authors, bloggers, radio hosts, DJs about the process of making media and the things that influenced and inspired them um, with the hope that young people and not so young people would find value in the journeys that all of these folks have been on. I want to thank you for, for being here. Um, if you're trying to find the old interviews, they've all been recorded in the month of January. They're all available on the Words, Beats, and Life YouTube page, which you can just Google to find it, or on the Words, Beats, and Life Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Words, Beats, Life. Um, 
If you know a young person and you live in the DC, Maryland, or Virginia area, I want to encourage you to, to send them this link um, and encourage them to sign up for our soon to be running uh, after school program that starts on February the 2nd. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Executive Director Mazi Mutafa. Post-production by Rhythm Lingo Music. Past episodes can be streamed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Mixcloud. Words, Beats, and Life podcasts are produced through funding from partner grants and in-kind donations from people like you. Visit wblinc.org donate to make a contribution.